I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, it looks like we're going to have to wait who knows how long to find out who the winner of the 2026 Nations will be after the entire final round was cancelled due to the coronavirus pandemic. And that's brought all global sports to a halt. Away from the Six Nations, the domestic calendar has been affected. Premiership rugby final between Sale and Quinn's due to be played on Sunday was postponed late on Friday evening and we are expecting the remainder of the Gallagher Premiership season to be at least suspended. Who knows, might be abandoned. Telegraph's rugby correspondent Gavin Mayers will join us to discuss what's likely to happen with this and what the financial implications of a lengthy postponement, if not cessation, will have on that competition. Elsewhere in Europe, top 14 in France has been suspended indefinitely as a country enters into a complete lockdown and close to home, Pro 14 also postponed provisionally until at least March the 29th. Well, despite the mass cancellations across the continent, Rugby League Super League defied the odds and went ahead this weekend. We'll get the views of Super League Hall of Famer Gary Schofield about whether this was the right thing to do and also the potential impact a lengthy ban could have on that particular sport from a financial point of view. Away from the coronavirus pandemic, we'll also be rounding up the rest of the stories from World Rugby this week, including Joe Marler's 10-week ban for groping, grabbing, fondling, whatever Alan Wynne-Jones and Mario Toji's future after he was linked with a lucrative move to Racing 92. Delighted to say, in a week where there's been little action but we need thought, we've got the former England Sevens captain, one of the uh, original thinkers in the rugby game, and I mean that genuinely. Rob Vickerman's here. Hello, Rob. Hello. Well, original thinkers, I'll take that. You're right. You know, you're, you're right. <laughs> right. Uh, always very interested in your views on any subject. Look, the coronavirus, it's, it's ubiquitous. Well, Scotland this weekend was cancelled, just 24 hours' notice. Um, that decision was late, wasn't it, given that everything else was off? I, I don't know how their soundbite from that can be, we have done everything possible, when everybody knows, especially everyone listening to this podcast will know, the Six Nations game is not about 80 minutes. It's about the whole weekend, the yeah. experience, the trip down, experiencing the culture, having a bit of, you know, the, the night before the game and that type of thing. For them to come out that late, I think that's really bad. Well, I mean, the, this is the strangest ever Six Nations. Um, we don't have a winner. Who knows when we'll find one? Uh, lots of theories. Uh, the problem is this, is whenever you now play this It'll be the other side of summer. Yeah. It's going to run it into the club season. Now, they're going to be really upset because of all the financial difficulties they're going to have from now until then, the autumns will come along. And I imagine the clubs will say, 
we don't want our players going. Why don't you just cancel the tournament? It was an extraordinary thing. It's only the first year after a World Cup anyway. It's one of the formative tournaments. It's not like a running to a World Cup, but it's really important. Just, we, we don't, we're not going to allow you to have the players. Yeah, not, I've, not... I've gone kind of quite deep with this. As, as a global rugby, it's really interesting how the different competitions, the different unions are handling this. And I actually spoke with some of the world rugby contacts I've got about what their line is and what their, their viewpoint on it is. And they're saying, look, they've handed it straight back to the unions with discretion, getting feedback from World Health Organization. So everyone's in the same remit that they're all governed by a World Health Organization. But every union seems to have different verdict about this. So you get Australia, for example, who are then saying, right, we're not going to do anything until the first weekend in May. Um, New Zealand have said indefinitely. Their line has been much more um, vague, as France has, quite ambiguous with that. Ireland seems to be pretty firm. Welsh have not only stopped the top tier of rugby, but all community rugby as well. So I absolutely agree. I think this is something that's going to be solved in a short amount of time. The other thing is, if you were to plan this, and I did start to do this rather embarrassingly as a matrix, and it ends up the most complicated thing because you look at Sanzar competitions that are completely... Global. Rob, I started this and I gave up because I thought <laughs> this is absolute nonsense. Yeah. It's going to run into so many, but there's no, let's suffice to say, there is no easy solution at all, is there? No, there's not. And your point actually you made there was about the November tests. I should bring that back a little bit. There's a Japan tour, 4th of July, 11th of July, which is potentially a window for when teams can because they've obviously got that international window that they, they can play. So that could happen and then look at whatever happens after that. If the sole outcome is finishing the Six Nations and, and ending it with a solution, that could be it. But we're just talking in rugby terms. Oh, Who completely. knows where the uh, pandemic will be at that point? I mean, it, it even... And I was told by some, some medic uh, friends, very, very senior medics, you know, consultants, um, that the two people the government are advising, the, 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 the chief scientific officer, the chief medical officer, are without doubt two of the best people in the world uh, on these subjects. One of them virtually was responsible for discovering the Ebola virus. So they do know what they're talking about. But who knows? Even they will admit that they can only predict on past models. So I... I... Yeah. Well, for those that have watched Black Mirror, I can't think of anything else other than we're in some, <laughs> the middle of some sort of episode of it because you're right, it's unprecedented. And for us to even think of solutions ideas whilst it you know passes time and, and keeps us entertained i am a little bit fearful in some respects because also we've got to realize that these are not just community-based sports they're also businesses and as i'm sure many people around there are fretting somewhat about it sport is shown to be fickle and, and you know we need to make sure it's robust enough to deal with it, it is i mean well let's look at it, the various things from a from a domestic perspective um fortunately for rugby union they're at least two-thirds of the way through the season, not starting with rugby league, even more interesting when we come on to that. The least part there, this season, there isn't a relegation thing in the Premiership because Saracens have gone down for various misdemeanours. If there is a chance to play things at the end of the season, say, for example, you got into May, I don't think it's going to be possible, but you got into May, June, how would you, would you say the top four as they are stand now? Or would you say um, the top two, given they've got a lot more points than those, and then you would draw lots or what? Yeah, I think to answer that, I think it's a very different concept, as you said. So there's one game, Six Nations, quarterfinals of the Euros, 11th round of the Premiership, and Pro 14 or 12-13 rounds in. So looking at it in terms of a matrix from that, you'd say 
you could play into May with almost a condensed tournament or into July, June type of time um, because there isn't necessarily a need for an off-season if you haven't played for 12 weeks, which is another point True. to consider. So there is talk of the summer not necessarily needing to be off. And, but the grand scheme of things, how great would it be to have rugby throughout summer, you know? Well, I'll tell you what it would, I'll tell you what it would be interesting because it would be a one-off, but a, a very interesting dip into what I've been saying is if the world rugby calendar is to actually take place, one or other is going to have to move their season. And I've always said it's going to have to be the Northern Hemisphere because simply you can't play in the Southern Hemisphere. It's too hot, you know, if they move there. So it would be interesting to see how all the people say, you know, it'd be a disaster and so on, how they actually turn out and how it, I think, I, you know, I think they might find, they quite like watching rugby when it's, when it's sunny. I'm kindred spirits here, Brian. I'm going all out. This could be the start of a global season. We play in summer. You don't get kids absolutely chilled to the bones on a January, February, Sunday morning, whatever. Well, let me just mention this, Rob. Before the coronavirus thing, um, the the mini rugby club where my two eldest played and my two youngest will play, they'd had six or seven weeks without play anyway because the the grounds were waterlogged. Mm. Couldn't play on them. I mean, that wouldn't happen in And summer. schools as well, you and know. schools. Schools have their, their time where they're playing their sevens tournaments, bless them, in January, <laughs> February, thinking it's going to put them off for life. Would have been trying to that reminds me of the Ilkley Sevens. It used to take place on Ilkley, Ilkley Moor in the winter. It used to take place. Yeah. The and it used to freeze. <laughs> so you've got, you've got that. And then looking further down, because um, I mean, one of the problems, which, which is the same through for all sports, is your broadcasting contracts are like this. If you don't deliver a certain number of games, you have to give some of the money back. And it's quite a high percentage. I'm sure it is with the advertising that goes along with it as well. You know, it's 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 massive concern actually with a, a chap not too uh, long ago who's head up uh, quite high of Discovery, so including the Olympics. Mm. And those conversations are getting pretty frightening because not only about the broadcasting in terms of paying the money back, but for the freelance operatives, the guys that basically run the game that you don't see, so the cameramen, the EVFs, so the replays people see. Well, their money is stopped. They're, Dead. they're freelance. So, I know. And in fact, that's I saw one of Sonia McLaughlin's tweets earlier about it all saying, you know, there's something we have to be concerned about in the sporting context we're talking about this top level actually there's a whole pyramid underneath this that we've got to be very cautious of completely in the back the background staff you're absolutely right and i you know I, I find it strange that i've paid as a self-employed person for you know 20 odd years national insurance and uh, everyone else gets sick pay and i don't <laughs> we'll not get into that one on this pod bro <laughs> no, i don't see why not um yeah i um could you see this because i certainly can see this given the money that all the clubs are going to be hemorrhaging. When you say, just for example, football, where the sums are extraordinary, I can see them saying, if they will allow us to play games behind closed doors, then we will do that. Because we simply cannot afford to give all this money back. And I think in the end, you know, even though players don't like it, nobody likes it. I think fans will say, if it's a choice between actually seeing my club play on TV, albeit behind closed doors, and me not being there, I'd rather do that than have nothing to watch. Because you've seen this weekend, I don't know about you, I suddenly realised my whole life, <laughs> my whole life is predicated by sport. There's nothing on. I mean, fortunately, I love films, so I watch loads of films, but loads of people said to me, I don't know what to do. Yeah, get the odd. Why is Daddy around this <laughs> yeah, weekend? Yeah. <laughs> why, why are we seeing him so much? Actually, so can, I, can you see that? Can you see them doing that? Um, I think from football's point of view, I can, purely because the amount of games that are broadcast, and for them, it's a very different agreement. The other thing is with football, in, in the UK with the Premier League, it's a truly global product. Exactly. And it's only until I've been around the world I realise how big football is and it's mind-blowingly big. I think from a rugby broadcasting point of view, three games a weekend which are traditionally broadcast on BT Sport, 
it's just not the same conversation. You're not going to get that many teams wanting to play at home without the revenue because there's no crowd. I think football's a very different entity. And for me, yeah, definitely. And the other thing is with the football, a lot of them have their own broadcast channels. So you have True. Liverpool TV, you have MUTV that could sustain yep. broadcasting that if it weren't perhaps on a Sky or a BT. So for them, definitely, I think. I mean, I'd become an avid football fan as well if that were the case. <laughs> I'd start watching anything. Well, we've had our chat about these various issues. Why don't we get another opinion? It's Gavin Mersey, Telegraph's newly promoted and chief Ruby correspondent. Gav, hi. Not too bad, Brian. Not too bad. Very I, strange we, times. Yep. <laughs> yes. You wrote today you expected a four-week uh, fixture postponement. Um, is that it, do you think? I think it's. Uh, I think that's really, we're looking at as the minimum, Brian. Um, I, I think... Uh, the club owners, uh, in conjunction with Premiership Rugby, have been in consultation over the weekend. And realistically, you know, the next two rounds are definitely going to go. Then you've got the, the Champions Cup weekend, which then would take you to, I think, of the tenth weekend of the 10th of April. Originally, I think the, the plan was to, to look, at, look again at whether it was possible to start again. But the latest... Uh, we. We're still waiting an official announcement, um, but the latest I hear now it could be as many as a five-week suspension, and um, that really will cause a, a fixture nightmare for this season. And I think we're almost certain to see if if it's possible to return playing again in, in the months. We're, we're going to see summer rugby. We're going to see this league finished in the summer months. Oh, well, there's a choice, isn't there? And I suspect it's going to be they're going to have to postpone or cancel these for much longer period than four four weeks. And that begs the question, as you say, what do they do with the tournament? Do they avoid it? Saracens are down anyway. Presumably it won't affect that. Um, but as Rob and I were discussing, if you haven't played for a number of weeks, the reason for an off-season break is, is not there. So summer rugby, will they be prepared to countenance this? Genuinely? I think they will. Yeah, I, I genuinely think they will, Brian. And I think you're right because, you know, well, these are, it's such unprecedented times, but you know, the, at the minute, if the players are having an imposed break uh, for up to, uh, say, at least five weeks, um, and, and, and another complication, Brian, that you, you have to consider is what do the players do in that time? Um, I know there are concerns about whether players come together to train, um, if, there's a, if there's a risk of infection or, or one or two members of staff are self-isolating, do players then have to train by themselves? Even just looking at motivational uh, impact of you know, how do you keep training during a period when you know there's no hope of a, of a, of a match coming up. Um, I think really for the, you know, the commercial realities for the clubs are that they need these matches to be played they need the revenue from from bringing in crowds and sales and corporate hospitality and uh, and food and beverages sales and and, the, and to sort of fulfill the commitment to the broadcasters as well and i think um you know like we've seen with the six nations it's so important for the six nations sort of business plans uh, for each individual union that those those fixtures are played even if it even if it goes into late october I think the consequence will be for club rugby that they will look to try and finish the league, even if it runs into July 
And I think what, what would probably fall by the wayside and that would be the Champions Cup and probably most likely like England's tour of Japan. Um, I think the, 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 there will be sort of tough uh, tough talking between the clubs and the RFU about what you know what has to be done to ensure the sort of the, you know the financial state of the of the sport in England you know is is kept as healthy as it can be in such troubling times and I think that I guess and I, I I'm guessing here but I I think from the people I've spoken to that the priority is going to be to try and finish the league if they can and and okay. you know that that. That can only really be going into the summer. I mean, the, the tour to Japan, because it's only one year out after World Cup, that, that could go. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not essential. It's a, it's a disappointing disappointment for Japan, I imagine, who started to develop. But I, I don't think anyone would mourn that much. And given that it involves travel to the other side of the world, with all the attendant consequences and possibilities, that should be, to me, that should be the least of their concerns. Um, I don't think they'll make much out of the tour anyway. Do they? I don't think it's... He's a money maker. No, yeah, so, no, no, it's, yeah. You know, it's, it's, the clubs, the, the RFU should give way to the clubs on that. Um, I tell you, Rob's got a, an interesting point, I think. Yeah, really interesting. Hi, Gav. Good, good to chat Hi, to Rob. you and get your yeah, thoughts. You too, um, in terms of what you're talking there, very much top level about corporate and broadcast, I understand all that. But in terms of your viewpoint, what about the levels beneath it and certainly the championship, at one level down from the premiership, having just had the news about funding being cut by 50% by the RFU and PRL? How do you think that copes and certainly beneath that as well? Rob, it's absolute disaster for the championship. Um, you know, as you say, in, in this seasons of all, where, where they're they've got this uncertainty, the prospect of a dramatic cut in their funding, staged maybe staged over two years now. But um, I just I think we are we are we are having to look at extraordinary measures, and, and whether it's the RFU, of, you know, offering loans or. Um, you know, we just we just can't afford to have these clubs go bust um, because of the role they play. And you know, you'll be so well aware of of what, what a what a you know what a you know it's almost the glue of 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 of, of the the um, you're trying to get get players, bring them through, and the role they play within their communities as well. And um, no, it's. It, the championship is—it's is, uh, really tough for them, and um, I think you know, whether they can, you know, whether there's an agreement made with them as well to go through and, and play rugby as well. I think we've got to—we've just got to look at ways of, I guess, helping each other because it doesn't—you know—nobody will win out of this if, if businesses, rugby clubs, go go to the wall. And as you say, down the leagues as well, it's probably going to maybe have a realization where you're looking at. Payments of players um, in the community game, which is probably something that needed to be looked at anyway. But um, this is going to this is going to be tough, tough times for for rugby union. Um, and uh, you know we're really going to have to look at how the game is funded and 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 the cost base and and that's payment to players. And uh, you know I think it's it's t- you know we're all bracing ourselves for a tough few months. Um, but you know ultimately the 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 rugby union rugby football got to show leadership here and uh, and find a way for their member clubs to at least in the short term be able to weather the, the financial storm uh, well I'm sure you're absolutely right who knows where this is going uh, suffice to say it's going to be rough uh, well, you'll still have things to write about so will I that's not uh, 
that's the only silver lining for us. I'm not being uh, too flippant yeah. about that. Thanks very much, Gav. Anytime, Bram. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Cheers, Rob. I think we can answer this fairly quickly before we speak to Gary Schofield. Sevens is absolutely shafted by this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the grand scheme of things is everyone's gearing towards a four-year cycle of the Olympics that now well and truly is on hold. So not only players in terms of their futures and what they do, the cycle of the of the events. Hong Kong shifted early. We knew that was going to happen, but yeah, it's... it's. Well, when you fly around the world doing this, yeah, you're in the risk category. You are a risk of a carrier and, and all sorts of things. If you could, If you could add a number of factors together to make it really, really difficult. You've got them all virtually, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and it really is you know, global. You just like Last week in Vancouver, some people not thinking they're going to get home because there were the Kenyans there, the Samoans, and people that wouldn't normally be exposed to this type of threat were all in one airport. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's frightening, you know. And the Aussie team have actually come down. Four players, I think, have been told they've, they've got the symptoms of it, so they're all on compulsory isolation. Hello. Sorry to interrupt your podcast. I just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about another programme from The Telegraph. I'm Ben Riley-Smith, the Daily Telegraph's US editor, and I've spent the last year exploring the scandal over links between Donald Trump and Russia for my new podcast, Crossfire. What I found was an extraordinary untold story that kept coming back to Britain. The big gorilla in the room was... Would Trump want to meet Putin? Would Putin then meet Trump? And he said, uh, and in any case, the Russians might use some material that they have on Clinton. This is dangerous. This is really dangerous. I've been tracking down those directly involved, from Washington to Cambridge to Belgravia, to try and find out what really happened and what it can tell us about this year's election. So we're looking at the backdrop of Russia. We're looking at what they might be trying to do for our elections. Over six episodes, I will unpack it all, chunk by chunk, through the voices of those with direct knowledge. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down. I will tell you this, whoever it was, I hope they get punished for it. That's in Crossfire. Available now, wherever you downloaded this podcast. Well, there's not only one game of rugby in this country. There's Rugby Union and Rugby League. I play both. I like both. And I'm really pleased to say um, it's been a long time, but uh, I'm going to speak to a Rugby League Hall of Famer, the great player. Gary Schofield's on the line. Hello, Gary. How are you, Brian? You OK? I'm all right, mate. Now, Rob and I were saying um, Rugby Union have got two-thirds of their season out of the way. So that's something. But with Rugby League, different matter. Now, um, the fixtures went to head this weekend. First of all, do you think that was right? And secondly, um, given the, 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 you know, where you are at the start of a season, how much do you think the commercial imperative is going to clash with the medical one? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I don't think the, uh, the game should have been played this weekend. Not at all any games whatsoever. We're supposed to be a leading sport and also, you know, saying right examples to people. So, first of all, all the uh, the games should have been cancelled. And secondly, commercially, yeah, it's going to be a disaster for our for, for our game because, you know, uh, we're not a national sport and we don't rely on uh, massive from an international calendar because we don't really have a proper one from there. And, yeah, certainly we get uh, a nice few quid from Sky from there. So commercially, it's going to be massively, massively burden for ourselves. But listen, at the end of the day, it's quite simple. If you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything, and health takes over everything. And uh, 
And from my point of view, as far as the game not being uh, postponed at this moment in time, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, at this moment, as, as we are speaking, Brian, the, uh, the people who are in charge of the Super League clubs are having a meeting to see where we move forward. Well, one of the difficulties, of course, is that when you sign broadcast contracts, you, there are terms, and one of them in every broadcast contract is if you don't deliver a certain number of games, we want part of our money back. Now, it's been reported that Super League were willing to offer Sky a chance to broadcast all the games live to fulfil their schedule in the sense that the league, they're saying it's only be cancelled if the decision's taken out of their hands. But I, I just can't see that line being held. Could you? No, 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 no. But also as well, if that, if that has been proposed, well, <clears throat> and I say, uh, I'm a rugby league man through and through and I love the game and it's been very, very good to me. But if that's been the case, you know, then quite simple. It's just, I think it's just belittling uh, our game whatsoever. It just proves that, uh, yeah, a few of the big clubs can maybe survive because they've got Sugar Daddies, i.e., you know, Huddersfield Giants with Ken Davis, finally, Rhinos will be fine with Phil Caddick, St. Helens will be fine with Eamon McManus. And also, too, and Eamon McManus has gone on board in the last couple of hours saying, you know, if we don't, if we don't carry on with fixes, then the game could, uh, could lose its existence. That just proves, to be honest with you, from a financial point of view, how skint and how low money uh, rugby league is. It relies heavily. On, uh, on on the sky on the sky handouts, but at the end of the day, this is all about this is all about people's health, and health has to come first. And uh, I feel as though being a rugby league person, that we are we are literally letting people down, and also as well, we're just showing the aspect from the point of view what a minority sport we are. If we are still considering where everybody else are postponing their their events, their sporting uh, calendars, and uh, we are not giving our sport, the, uh, the respect, and giving the supporters the respect what they fully deserve. Hi, Gary. It's Rob Vickerman here. I'm a, f- a fellow Northern, a big league fan as well. Um, in terms of what you're talking about here, and just to give the, the listeners a, a bit of a wider picture of it, with the status that league is in, how much of a prospect is it that these clubs could be out of business by the end of the year if indeed they're not able to fulfil oh, any of the duties? Massive, absolute massive. And uh, as I said, it's not just, you know, you, we, we may think of uh, League One clubs here and, and the Championship, but League One and Championship, they're different to, uh, uh, to Super League. They're run by the uh, the RFL. So it's, we, we have two different governing bodies, believe it or not. We have one sport, but we have two uh, governing bodies. But uh, yes, this will be massive. And uh, and the situation as well is that uh, they're even mentioning playing behind closed doors to... Um, to make sure that if that's going to be the case, then, you know, we can maybe show the games on Skype, but that's even going to be more of a financial burden. Even Eamon McManus, the St. Helens owner and chairman, has said this, you know, even if playing behind closed doors, that will be even more of a financial burden. But unfortunately, we're in a scenario where it's not just, I say, uh, over in here in England, it's worldwide, is this, um, you know, this situation with the coronavirus. And we have to be, we have to make common sense decisions. And at this moment in time, with our game still going ahead, we are not making the right decisions. And yet, unfortunately, from a financial point of view, it will put clubs maybe out of business. And even Eamon McManus has mentioned, rugby league could go, could go out of existence if we don't get help from the government to see how long this goes on for. So it is a massive, massive issue for our sport because, and it doesn't give me any joy in saying it, but yes, we are a minority sport. We're not the biggest sport from a point of view where we do get the biggest money from Sky, all the other sports get massively more money than what we do. And we rely heavily, we rely heavily on the money what Sky gives us. But unfortunately, due to this um, situation, the game, the game at this moment in time could be looking at you. Yeah? Of- one of the things that League did was move to the summer because it saw an opportunity yeah. to yeah. fill those months. And I yeah. think that the, the, 
the move has been, you know, a relative success. But uh, Union is now saying, look, if we've just got a few to play at the end of the season, we'll, we'll try and go into the summer. Can you see Rugby League trying to go into the winter? Well, it, it can't because, well, unless unless because the Australians are due over for an Aussie series and the Aussies, now, the, the Aussies now are saying, you know, we may not have the international Aussie series because of, uh, of uh, the, the situation what we're in, but also as well, they have a state of origin which might have to be cancelled. The state of origin brings massively, the state of origin overall is worth around about $20 million, $30 million to that game from there. They won't make anywhere near that sort of money of an international calendar. But from a point of view um, with our game, can it move back to winter? I think it would be impossible, Brian, to be honest with you. So if this situation here, what we have got to consider now is quite simple. And we've got to put things in place where we've got the Magic Weekend coming up. We have loop fixes and we have the Challenge Cup. Now we've got to plan ahead where it may be. Let's just say this is going to be cancelled, the season postponed. Let's just say it's going to be cancelled for two months. We forget about the Magic Weekend. Forget it. We're even making the Challenge Cup draw tonight when the Challenge Cup should be played in three weeks' time. That's absolutely laughable because the Challenge Cup is going to come under. Is going to come under where a point of view that might have to be postponed as well. So we have to put things in place where, yes, the season, let's just say we start again in the middle of June, go on until the middle of October, forget about the international calendar, and let's get the season out of the way. It's got to be common sense planning and what we have to do for rugby league. Well, interesting times, Gary. No easy solutions. Your suggestion seems to make sense to me, but who knows where we'll be with the pandemic. All I would say is as a, uh, you know, as a lad who's brought up in Halifax, I really hope that the uh, uh, catastrophic effects that some are predicting don't happen. So the best of luck for everyone in your, in your code, mate. Cheers. Thanks very much, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. England are likely to win the Six Nations now, actually, if it does take place because of the France game, but they've not attracted a lot of fans. Brian, how many times do you play for England? <laughs> England are the most hated team in the world. Everyone knows that anyway. Yes, they've not exactly won more fans from the way they've been behaving, but I don't think they'd be bothered if they win the Six Nations, no. to be honest. Alan Quinlan, good friend of mine, actually, right in the Belfast Telegraph. England will probably have Six Nations if he does reach conclusion, but their behaviour on and off the field, led by a loose-lipped general and a petulant first lieutenant, will probably make them the most unlikable team in recent memory to lift the trophy. Uh... That may be. Uh, that may be. I, I, I am of the opinion. When I played, I would. I don't care. No, because well, name me a likable team that have won the Six Nations for England. Like, you're not going to turn around and say, actually, they didn't do that well, but they're really nice guys. Yeah, I, look, the the Marla thing was an odd. It's interesting, you know, people saying the two are like you tackle. I can cite. I can name you all sorts of other things that weren't even cited, which should have been cited, and these things happen. Um, no one said anything about Warren Gatland when he was was making his barbs. It was fine for Warren to do. Eddie Jones, he's if you I, look, if you don't like Eddie Jones, you'll never like him. Um, you'll never like anything he says. You'll never respect anything he says. To me, you know, this your view on this is absolutely solely dictated by which country you live in, which 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 team you support, and all that. And I could easily see if the things were reversed. And it was the Irish who were acting this way. There'd be lots of Irish fans who were making excuses. I'm not going to make any excuses, but I'm just going to say that's the way they are. Take it or leave it. Yeah. And you've got to think of this as an individual point of view. Eddie Jones, like it or not, is memorable. He does things differently. Mm. Now, for someone who looks at short-term wins, and he does regularly, and how good he can make a team in a very short space of time, he's not bothered what the wider public think. He's going to sell more books. He's going to be in demand. 
He's on probably the biggest salary as a coach in world rugby and he's, he's an Aussie and he's always been like this. It's the same with Checker. The British media, sadly, don't come across many people like this in British sport and they don't really know how to handle it. And, and Eddie doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think as long as they win. And that's how ruthless he is. What do you think about, well, I talked to Maggie Alfonso last week about his contract. I mean, they're having chats about it. It didn't make sense to me for a two-year contract anyway, but should they either give him the full four or say, because I was saying, full four, so he takes the next World Cup, or go now, because at least give three years to someone. Yeah, I think that the whole point of it was that it was going to be almost grooming someone else along the way, and that's not but really happened. No, it hasn't happened. And, and not only that, they're finding any coach position very difficult to fill, and that is the nature of Eddie Jones. He is brutal. You don't get the likes of Gustard, who's one of the most passionate energetic coaches putting his hand up before a World Cup saying, yeah, I'm all right, thanks, I'm leaving. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen by accident. You know, he's an absolute slave grinder. And, and with that, you've got to find someone who can work with him as well as take over from him. And if you're Rob Baxter or, you know, Steve Diamond, people that get touted in this position, um, why would you leave your sanctuary of a very successful, well-performing premiership club to that? Because it's savage and oh. you're completely eaten alive Usually, win, lose or draw. It's, it's some commitment for them, unless financially it's going to be very viable. Well, let's look at the um, the standings. Uh, I wrote a piece to uh, you know, the Telegraph, and I, uh, Paul O'Connell said this, and I agree with him, former Ireland, uh, Ireland and Lions. He said England, at the moment, are ahead of everyone else in the Six Nations. And I agree with him. But I think the reasons for that are quite simple. Uh, very few changes in staff, very few changes in personnel, despite what Eddie Jones said about having a wholesale clear-out. He's not done that. Even at halfback, where he probably does need to make some changes. And then all the others, you've got the other four to me, France, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, who are very similar, close, some close to kicking, some not, some with different challenges, all with changes in personnel or management or style or all three, which is even more. And then you've got Italy, who unfortunately at the moment are just, uh, you know, yeah. All at sea. So, um, of the of the, do, do you agree with that? And, and secondly, if you if if we look at those four, which of the ones are closest to getting it right? Do you think? Uh, I said it last time I was on, and I'll stick by it. I think the French are in this transitional period where we saw glimpses this campaign, where we're thinking, wow, in twenty twenty three, they're going to be amazing. The downfall of the French, as it always tends to be, is how they perform away. Losing to Scotland in the way that they did was a bit of an eye opener. However, twenty twenty three is a home World Cup. So they're not particularly bothered how they play on a dreary night in Edinburgh. You know, they, they've got to look at this as a long-term plan. And I still believe we've seen enough, certainly from 8, 9, 10 alone, Aldrich, Dupont and Intermac, your core of your team, who are young, incredibly dynamic, creative and of a new age. That, for me, is probably more exciting than any other team in the 60s. Boutier going to make it? I mean, he's a relative uh, newcomer, but he's 27. Yeah, I think anyone probably 26, 27, you'd be all right. I think you've got to build your team around it. But certainly with those guys, I mean, 20 and 21. We're talking eight-year plan here, not just four. Yeah. It's, it's potentially very frightening for the rest of the world if the French do get it right. And funnily enough, um, uh, the, the other three, Scotland, uh, I actually think Scotland have probably got fewer problems, even though they started off badly, because I've seen them develop over this tournament. They've been without Finn Russell as well. Not, they've, they've, they've handled that well and they've got better progressively. Whereas I don't think Wales and Ireland have necessarily got, you know, they've been uneven from game to game. And what was impressive for me is they've tightened up, you know, their set piece is good now. And Scotland were always vulnerable in a set piece. And when they're not, they've at least got a basis to, to, to build on. I, I, 
the, the, going forward, their, their problem to me is just going to be that it's still the, the ball carrying aspect. How do they get over that gain line when, you know, they've got, you've got a good set piece ball. How do they get over it if a tackling you know, stops them on the, uh, there? How do they do that to me? Because yeah. they've got people who can finish. I wonder when they're for Jean's speaking residents. That'd be an interesting <laughs> yeah. concept. Yeah. Bill Matter's got another two years, I think, before he might be able to have a look at playing for Scotland. But yeah, I think when you look at the game, it also typifies the fact that they've only got two professional teams. Mm. And that's so difficult to get that depth. Whereas you look at an English league where you can name probably five or six ball carrying players that would do a job in a Scottish team. They don't have that luxury. It's very difficult in that environment. So how that's going to change, I'm not sure. Even looking down the peg a couple of times to their under 20s and their 18s. They haven't got the genetics of player coming through like you believe on Apollos, albeit, you know, he's not English, but you need those players who are now really putting themselves forward for the next generation of Scottish players. And as it stands, I don't see that happening. What about uh, Ireland? Because it's quite clear with players like Kayla, Doris, Kelleher and others that they've got a lot of talent. Um, and you can see the younger players playing in, who they've been playing for the provinces until the suspension. There's a lot there. But they've got to balance quite carefully the old against the new, haven't they? Because it's not ideal to bring all new people in. You don't want to all learn together unless you have to. You'd be much better off having some experienced players on you. And that's a difficult one. The, 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 the key to me is, is at least Farrell getting that right. I think they've also got the luxury of how well their provinces are playing. And look at Leinster. They could put in a team who have lost all their internationals and still put 50 points on a team. They're that good and that well coached. Um, so for me, if you look at the foundation of what they've got as an Irish team going forward, far better place than Scotland. And certainly with Andy Farrell at the helm, who's going to guide them in his way. Uh, and if you speak to many teams, he is the type of character that galvanises a team. And same with Pivac, I guess, in some way, that because they are such transitional coaches coming in and doing things a very different way, that's going to take a time of adjustment. And actually a lot of what Wales have done this year have been exciting because you've seen them play more rugby. It's been more expansive and you know, an offloading game and the far... Uh, touchline didn't happen before so for them that's going to take time to adjust but when you look at it as results based you, you probably have to question it's not going as well as they'd like but for me it's a long term plan results three years out from a World exactly. Cup don't count exactly they don't even count two years out and I've changed my mind about this I reckon you do need if you can get a solid 18 months uh, where you, you're, you're, you're peak you know, you're rising towards your peak and you're winning more uh, often even if you're going to ideally an unbeaten streak, that is much more important than anything that happens here. And you're right about the world thing. The big thing to me is the decision makers, you know, and this is always a clue to Where do you play the game? You know, when is it right to do this? When is it right to do that? And it will take them to whoever they are, adjusting to that will, t- will take them time. Yeah, and you saw with Scarlets, that Pivak and Jones at the helm there, they were amazing. Some of their Champions Cup games they were playing in quarterfinals, mm. semifinals were jaw-droppingly good. Bearing in mind the pressure of those games and they were still building it with 20, 30 phases and offloading game and high-tempo rugby. That's what people want. That You forget the people growing up with Welsh rugby. That's what they were used to yes. for the 70s and 80s. It was constant entertainment on a rugby field. And I'd say for the last 10 years, whilst they might have had success, it hasn't been particularly inspiring. OK, let's just uh, wrap up with a few questions. And just one point that's been made. Uh, what have you made the plan for Maori Toji to join Racing 92 on loan? while still being eligible for England? Does that sort of run counter to their ban about players playing abroad? If he's on loan, look, the, the, you can always bend these things. And, you know, there are always reasons to. No, not Saracens, surely. <laughs> no. no, they wouldn't bend them. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I simply say with these, with these rules, 
you can make them every way you want. And I, and I would simply be barefaced about it and say, when you're Mario Toji, we'll make an exception for you. Yeah. But otherwise, we won't. It's 25 years old. Yeah. Right. He could go abroad on a million pound contract for two years, still come back, and as you say, 18 months, prior World Cup, carve up, smash it, do what he wants. Yeah. He's got everything on his side. He's got youth. He's got um, a potential that's been seen at a very young age. So seeing how good he can be, he's one of the world's best players. Commercially, he's very viable. He speaks well. He's intelligent. Let him do that. Let him grow and learn a French game. Mm. Bearing in mind the World Cup in 2023 will be in some of these places he's going to be playing in. Absolutely. So it's a no-brainer. And if he needs toughening up, it's uh, well, he doesn't need toughening up, but I mean, he'll be exposed to the darker side of things when Let he's playing go. out there. I'm with you. Uh, questions. Three questions for you. Jason Lewis, what is the best rugby song to sing while washing your hands? <laughs> I tell you, thank God. It'll, I don't care, but as long as it releases Baby Shark, because I'm sick of that one with my kids. Oh, I'll take that. Oh, so I, I thought, I actually saw this question online. I was like, right, well, I'm going to think about this one. I went back to Rugby Special thinking, here we go. <laughs> Played to the clients. Then I realised it sounded more like Grange Hill than I remember. So yes. It was actually Grandstand, but there's no words to that. So that'd be a bit dull. I couldn't think other than Swing Low, but that's just boring. Oh, terrible song. Boring. You'd but lose the, the will to live. So while Grandstand would be my answer. The problem is with rugby songs, uh, they're not broadcastable. A lot of them are politically <laughs> incorrect. A lot of them are out of date now. So uh, we can't come up with one, Jason. We're waiting for you. Great one. question, though. Good question. Great. Graham Bins, if the season is cancelled, should we take the table? As 11 games to decide the top four finalists, etc., etc., if not, what options are there? Graham, I'm not trying to duck this. I, I, I don't like to sit on fences. But you know what? Let's just see. Because if we can get all these games away in summer, that will be preferable. I don't, if we only got three weeks or whatever, then they'll have to make the decisions. So I, I just don't know. My, I, my only point to this question is many teams and nations and unions are using the word indefinite which yeah. for me is a better word than postponed for four weeks. Yes. Because we don't know if it'll be four weeks. We don't know if it'll be six, eight, yes. ten, twelve weeks. So indefinite gets rid of these types of questions. As good as a question it is, there isn't an answer to it. No. So until we actually know what's going to happen, you just can't pass judgment. Uh, final one. GJ Power with Pro Rugby, especially the non-test tier, having lived beyond its means since inception, what should the RF do in the event of a prolonged shutdown to equitably balance the Interests of one, the test team, two, the PRL. Well, he puts cartel, so, you know, that he's obviously coming from a point of view. Graham, don't betray your uh, allegiances if you want uh, an honest answer. Uh, three, the RFU Championship, four, the rest of the rugby pyramid. Well, everyone's going to suffer. It was interesting, Gavin Mayers earlier in the podcast said they're going to have to look at the whole funding basis. And whilst we said there's an opportunity which summer would be to try that, that might be interesting. There's also an opportunity here for the rugby union to do a job they should have done and say for the lower leagues, we've it's been proven you can't afford to play players. Stop now. We're stopping it. Yeah, I'm all in on that. Yeah, I think that's been one of the things probably that since would 95. rebalance yeah. the clubs enormously. You think you've got 30, 40 grand going out of some junior clubs before anything else to pay players who aren't good enough to be pros anyway, who would have been playing without payment before who would still play without payment if they love the game because they're not good enough to be pros if they are let them be pros but they're not so don't pay them yeah perhaps another pod as well but looking at regional rugby you know get rid of the the kind of lower tiers just just play in your locality and that then breeds a lot of community based elements to the game which is why people play rugby anyway so well that's a byproduct of the of the leagues everyone yeah. said we needed this we needed this I, I know a lot of clubs who said you know, I wish we could still have the 20 fixes in Leicestershire we had. <laughs> the local derbies, they were great. Everyone think, went there. Well, the Yorkshire, 96 teams there. Yeah, and now we're having to go, you know, 300 miles. 
And we do, you know, and it costs a lot of money. So, yeah, there are going to be downsides, um, Mr. Powell. I presume it's Mr. Powell. Uh, but there could be an op- there could be an opportunity to rebalance the game in lots of areas, and then we would uh, see a more equitable split. You wouldn't have the the problem with the RFU for the RFU. Everyone blames them for anything, things that aren't even their decisions. Everyone wants money. They are not a profit organisation. They try their best. Sometimes they get things wrong, and I criticise them. But they can only work with what they've got, and they're going to come under severe pressure as well um, because of the broadcast shutdowns and so on. So there's going to be less money. And I would say this. Everyone in each of those categories should look at their cost base and see what they can do about it before asking someone else to do something about it. Yeah, and, and my final point on that would be they are a few, as the specific team mentioned here, the union, they are owned by the members. So if yes. lest it works, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host, Rob Vickerman. To all our guests, if you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes as a means to fill the gap left by the lack of sport currently. In the meantime... Make sure you stay safe and look out for those more vulnerable than yourself. And if it is possible to give a hand to keep your local club afloat, because some might go under, please do whatever you can. Remember, that's where you made friends for life, probably. That's where you've had some of your long-time memories. So they need help as well. Thank you. Thank you.